0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Phantom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we are here for Season 4 of the Fuel Your Phantom Podcast. Holy shit. I didn't ever think we'd get here. This has just been... uh, It's been an interesting break, I will say that.
1: Yeah, Uh, we we definitely picked a pretty eventful month to take a powder. And uh, as such, we got a lot of shit to catch up on.
0: Yeah, I didn't expect quite so much. Usually, it's not quite so much newsworthy things that happen in the space of a few weeks' time. But this has been—it's uh, been a doozy. And, and it, it's, it's good, January. It's the dead and, of winter.
1: You, you think this is the place where news goes to die? But so much has been going on in the last couple of weeks that, boy, I mean, we just—we got a lot to talk about today.
0: Absolutely. And uh, so, when you're hearing this, of course, we're recording towards the middle of—of uh, of, uh, it's closer to the end of January now thankfully yeah it's and, coming up uh, and uh so i'm not sure exactly when this is going to air probably around the middle of uh, february or so but uh, uh we hope you guys are doing well we're happy to be right back up into your ear holes and uh hopefully you guys have had uh, a good holiday season and uh, a good start to your new year and all of that if you made uh uh resolutions hope you stuck to them for at least a week <laughs> Uh, other than that, but, uh, Jim, how you doing, man? You know, good. I got a chance to, uh,
1: go to Pennsylvania over New Year's. I got to bring in the New Year listening to a wonderful party band, and I got to kiss my lady at midnight, which was very, very nice, um... And uh, she came back with me after New Year's and has been hanging out ever since, so we're kind of doing a a dry run of what it's going to be like once this is no longer a long-distance thing, and it's been wonderful. So that's really nice. The less wonderful part is the fact that sometime around... Last weekend, we both came down with some kind of creeping crud, some sort of flu. Um, It is not COVID, because it's not checking the boxes on the COVID symptoms list. Just a regular old garden variety, miserable fucking midwinter cold. But uh, I'm coming off the end of it. Uh, My voice is not hamburger for the first time in a couple of days, which is great, because it happens to coincide with uh, doing some microphone work, so that's nice. But... um, yeah, we actually were supposed to go to a gathering with some friends tonight, and we pulled out of it because, um, well, A, we just don't feel 100% yet, and uh, there's a possibility that we might still be mildly contagious, so we don't want to be around other people. I mean, obviously, that's a good thing to think about in, under even normal circumstances, but in the age where COVID informs all of our social activities, from going to the grocery store to going to see friends, it is a consideration that we always have to be aware of. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so And thank that's you bummer, for being but...
0: cautious about that. I mean... There's a lot of well, people you know, out there just throwing caution to the wind and just saying, ah, eh, fuck it, if they get it, they get it, if I get it, I get it, you know, whatever. Well, so
1: many times we thought this shit has been in the rearview mirror, but then we have to mask up again, we got to do all the things, and, uh, you know, with with the regular old fucking garden variety COVID, then it was Delta, then it was Omicron, and we're all learning the Greek alphabet by duress, uh, whether or not we <laughs> want to. So, yeah, it's just uh, trying to be a responsible citizen of the universe and trying not to infect anybody else with uh, the funk that I know I have versus... Any potential funk I might also be carrying around. It's just uh, its a good idea to be conscientious to your friends and neighbors, everybody. Get faxed, wear the mask.
0: Well, I'm i am proud of you, my funk soul brother. Funk soul brother. For uh, being a cautious citizen, which we need I more do my best. Sorely in this world. But uh, So, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's been an eventful uh, kind of break. I, I anticipated doing uh, a short break. Uh, I don't want to say film because it wouldn't have been recorded on film, like a short little digital thing, but uh, I, I kind of put that on the back burner just because of Omicron and everything else cropping up again, and yeah, and I, di- I didn't want to do anything like that public uh, just yet, and, and because even short films and, and short uh, productions require a bunch of hands um, and, and actors and situations, and it's just it didn't seem like the time. I mean... It, that, add to that to the fact that I'm lazy as shit and I didn't want to do it. But That's true. Yeah. I sympathize um, with that. I started a new hobby where I'm, I'm trying to refurbish and rehab old, uh, specifically Nintendo, but others as well, but handheld game systems. Because, as we all know, uh, we've talked about it many times on this show, I'm a huge fan of uh, gaming and video gaming and console collecting in general. And uh, so I kind of wanted to, you see a lot of them in really rough shape. And uh, I wanted to start doing something for the community, for my love of things, and kind of just bolster that fandom. And so uh, I've been watching a lot of these videos. There's this guy who uh, runs a channel called Odd, Odd Tinkering. And I don't, I, don't, I want to he's four, and I don't know where it's from, but um, his videos, he doesn't talk during the entire videos. It's all just... It's, i don't it's not asmr but it's it's similar and it's just him rehabbing things and he's done some game systems and it was really neat to watch and therapeutic and then i watched this other guy Tronics fix that does uh, a bunch of console repair work and and he's kind of a goof but uh, it's kind of interesting to watch him work like he got a box full of parts that had the parts of four different playstations in it like crushed just destroyed and he was able to resurrect three PlayStations out of the four. Wow. So so that was neat. And so something like that I just kind of wanted to do. So I picked up a, a tool set and a rubber mat to, to work on in case I do any soldering. And and uh, I've started the process of learning how to take down and rebuild these systems. And so I uh, I've been buying a few off of... Uh, f- uh, marketplace and and people are pricing these units these handheld units that have gone for 20 30 40 bucks for years are now going for two and three times what that used to be like so the advance sp which is one of my favorite systems it's a clamshell system uh, it's the first backlit nintendo system handheld system yeah i had one of those, those w- was a great little unit I love it. It's one of my favorites and that's why I wanted to work on those and you used to be able to get one of those for like 45 bucks uh, in, in varying states of, of of doneness or condition and whatnot. And then so they make kits you can uh, reshell them and rehome them and like I had an old scratched up uh, charcoal one at one point and uh, I reshelled it in the NES shell, which makes it look really really cool and it looks just like the NES one that I sold years ago that I regret selling. But uh, so you could buy shells and all these for these for like 15 20 bucks, 10 15 bucks. I mean, they're not expensive. And then you can refurb them um, but yeah, the the aftermarket on these right now and I don't know if it's because of the chip shortage, I don't know if it's because of the this hackability. Uh, these are very very hackable and people are doing case mods and things like that and and, and doing these awesome wonderful things to these units and it's it's driving up the cost and it's ridiculous uh so i turned to uh i don't know if i should say the secret i don't know if i I draw more attention to it now what the hell ebay's old news for handhelds ebay's expensive but i did discover a long time ago that goodwill has an auction site really And so what they'll do is all the various Googles across the country have this outlet to put their merchandise up. And I think the last thing I bought from them was like eight or nine years ago. I bought uh, the Nerf Vulcan, the big battery operated Gatling gun. It's Nerf or nothing. Yeah, Uh, I bought one of those from there. And so I remembered them and and I went back and. And I looked, and yeah, so they're selling, they've got Nintendos all over the place. And it's like if I wanted to buy, like, old NES units or SNES units to to test, uh, you know, whitening kits on. Because you they it's it's a really easy process to, to bring these back from their yellowed and old state. Uh, there's ample opportunity to do that with there. Like, if you want a Wii, I can get you a Wii real cheap. Um, but I ended up picking up four different... Uh, Game Boy, or not Game Boy, the Nintendo DSIs. Uh, And I got those uh, from four different Goodwills across the country, including my hometown of Colorado Springs, it turns out. Um, And then I also have started ordering uh, Japanese units from uh, Yahoo Auctions in Japan through a company called Sendico, which I'm hoping they're going to do a sponsorship because I love what they do. I would really like to do something with them. And it gets kind of spendy getting from Japan because I can imagine. You know, sh- shipping and bundling. It. But basically what Sendico does is they act as a proxy through the auction process because usually they don't allow out-of-country bidders. And so what happens is, is you bid on these auctions, and you win the auctions. You pay the money to Sendico. Sendico pays the money to the auctions. The auctions mail the items to Sendico, where Sendico will hold on to all of these things. Until you have all of your items centrally located. Like for my, in my instance, I bought three DSi XLs, basically, the Japanese versions of DSi LLs. Yeah. In colors I've never seen them before, which is really neat. And so now that they've all arrived at Sendico, uh, they just as of yesterday, I was able to bundle them all up in one package. And now they're putting the package together for me. They're going to charge me an arm and a leg for shipping, but. Uh, then they're going to ship from there, and I should have them about a week later, hopefully, uh, according to the website. So, you know, I wasn't There's exactly no... completely as dialed
1: into the uh, the 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 secret of goodwill as as uh, a lot of people, but I'd heard some some rumblings about it from of all places TikTok, and and like like every other carbon based life form in the universe, because it's the fucking <laughs> law. I have been watching a lot of TikTok during uh, sort of quarantine slash downtime, and uh, there are a couple of accounts that. Uh, they kind of have that that flipper ethic thing going on but they'll go in and they'll mm-hmm. say here here are some things that if you wander into your average uh uh goodwill and they, they get things from like unsold garage sales or estate sales or when somebody cleans out the house of a relative who died of COVID or something, you know, they just bring all the stuff to, uh, to, to to Goodwill, they don't know what they had, and there's people that are just pouring through shelves and finding things like vintage action figures and, and uh, uh, sought-after electronics and a lot of that kind of thing, and they're saying, here, mm-hmm. if you find these things on the shelves, um, and, and you can buy them for pennies on the dollar... And then turn around and with very little rehab, maybe just wiping some dust off or taking some some scuff marks off with a little bit of Goo Gone or some alcohol or something. You can, you know, turn around and put those things on eBay or whatever resale site you prefer. And you, you can, you yeah. know, double, triple, quadruple and make your investment back 10, 12 times over.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and that's kind of a little bit of a part of what I'm doing. Like, I wouldn't mind uh, getting some some used units and fixing them up and reselling them, especially if the market stays the way it is for them. But yeah. the other part of me is the sheer collector side of me is going i could collect all of these units and clean them up and then like when i finally get my mythical game room that'll happen eventually maybe someday um where i could put up my big ass 80 inch tv and and play all my games um i'll have like a display like for instance i but i used to have like the dsi xl that i had was the DSi XL Super, or, it was like the Special Edition Super Mario one. Yahoo! Yeah. And until I started digging into these, I didn't realize, first of all, how many Special Editions they actually have of these things. It's ridiculous. But, it's the Super Mario Special Edition 25th Anniversary one. And, uh, so I've got that. And then, uh, one of the ones I bought from Marketplace that actually turned out to be in pretty remarkably good shape, uh, was like the turquoise blue one so i've got that one and then the three i bought from japan which i guess are region locked uh but they'll still look good in my collection i bought the uh there's this bright vivid yellow one that that caught my eye and usually i don't go for the super bright colors but like the bright yellow and then the green they have this emerald green one that just looks fantastic this one I bought is not. It's covered with stickers and goo and, and shit like that that I've got to clean off. But that's part of the challenge, you know. Well, it's if I know anything about Japanese yeah, but...
1: culture, and I don't, uh, it's that uh, <laughs> there's, there's a certain um, cachet that comes along with uh, with variety. Uh, you know, I mean, we're just starting oh, to now. Like, I was just at the Walgreens yesterday picking up some cold medicine because, you know, I've been fighting this fucking funk. But we're just starting to get, like, different Kit Kat flavors now. But, of course, Kit Kat mm. flavors in Japan, they've had hundreds of them for hundreds. years. They have entire stores that just sell different Kit Kat flavors you can go into down in, uh, you know, some of the trendier marketplaces in Tokyo. And you can just wander in off the street and they have every, green tea flavored, red bean flavored, uh, you know, sushi Matcha. flavored. They're hundreds and hundreds yeah. of hundreds. And, and I think I remember reading somewhere that it's because uh, Kit Kat, the name of Kit Kat, uh sounds like a phrase in Japan that means good luck so Kit Kats are seen as being a very uh, you know uh it, it's 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 audibly and, similar yeah uh, and so they're very popular and people give them as gifts and they're they're good stock of stuffers for you know christmas and different holidays and things so yeah kit Kats, huge in japan but you know the the idea that because it's this weird thing that that for so many years uh japanese culture uh sort of prized um you know, being a a conformist and just sort of, like, not standing out in any way. So there's an entire, like, backlash of subculture that emphasizes individuality and being as as unique as possible. And so having the thing that nobody else has... Uh, having a a Game Boy in a, in a particularly unique color, or or just having a you know, favorite Kit Kat flavor that's incredibly obscure—these are things that are that's kind of a a a, back, a backlash in youth culture in Japan of like, hey, you know, we're kind of like slapping back against this, the you know, generations of of uh, trying to all fit in the same mold and and uh, be productive members of society and all that, and we're just going to be as unique and individual as possible, and so. That's kind of, uh, I guess uh, from what I understand and I don't really understand it, but that's kind of where it comes from a lot of the time. So being able to, to kind of pick those things up and, and just see that, Hey, they've got almost endless amounts of variety in certain portions of the culture. Um, I just find that really
0: interesting. Now you're playing with power, superpower. That's uh, what definitely one of my bucket list items is to go over to Japan and not only just to check out video game culture and like the pachinko parlors and, and, uh, the Gachapon culture, which I don't know if you know what Gachapon is, is the a little the, bit the 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 blind pack uh, gumball machine type things where yes. you get the little toys out of them, and and uh, I've already showed you my miniature Transformers that I love to death that come from Japan blind packs, and mm-hmm. like I'd I'd love to go over there for that, but Jesus Christ, the food as well, I would love to go over there just on a food tour and just binge because Asian food honestly is, like. Asian food in general, Chinese, Japanese, uh, Vietnamese food, and I mean, all of this, that whole Asian yeah, but, continent feeds my belly and feeds my, my fatness. I love. My
1: it. favorite kind of food is, is the least culturally appropriating way to say it is anything you can eat with chopsticks. I mean, Vietnamese, Korean. Too fair. Uh, mm. Chinese, Japanese uh, You know, I had a friend on Facebook ask once What's your goldfish food, i.e. what's the thing That somebody could put down in front of you And you would eat it until you died And I think mine has <laughs> got to be the crunchy little The crunchy little fried Japanese or Chinese Or, or Pan-Asian dumpling, whether that's gyoza Or shumai, or oh. even like Egg rolls or crab rangoon I could eat yeah, that shit until I that. literally died all in my fucking chair Like uh, <laughs> like Mr. Creosote And Monty Python Oh, it's way fair thin, uh, eat one more and explode I would die happy, but I would die
0: it's only a wafer thing. Yeah. I could eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Bother, horse! One thin mint. No, yeah, I, I, I'm the same way, and it's usually Asian cuisine. Like, I mean, I'm a huge on all sorts of cuisines. I like Japanese cuisine. I like yeah Italian and Indian and and I mean, for, I like food from everywhere. I'm I'm well rounded in my foodage. But yes. By and large. You know, it's Japanese or it's Chinese or it's um, an authentic. I like to find it as authentic as possible, which is difficult as fuck. But in the Pacific Northwest, we have a very large Asian community. So it's a little bit easier to find halfway decent Asian food. Uh, There's a big Korean population. There's a big uh, up north in Bellevue. There's a huge Vietnamese population. So it's easier,
1: I should say. Yeah. But well, I, I lived in uh, San Francisco and L.A. and Vegas. Obviously, they're all more or less West Coast cities. And uh, so they have huge populations of, of, of uh, folks from that part of the world. And so, yeah, the food was outstanding. And as the late, great Anthony Bourdain once said, uh, inside every cook, there's a little Chinese guy trying to get out because he said, you know, I've never been anywhere. <laughs> I've never been anywhere that was able to make absolute magic from garbage, uh, from scraps that then these impoverished countries don't always have like the top cuts of meat or like amazing produce or whatever, but they can make. Some of the best, most intense, most appealing flavors in the world out of what they have. And it's not just like that you're settling for something because it's what's available. They actually are able to make some of the best, most flavorful, most healthful, and delicious food in the world out of just what they had laying around. Now, if you uh, you excise the
0: word healthful out of that, that's the same thing that the soul food kitchens do. Because the same thing with southern cuisine and soul food is is you make a lot with a little. and Not always healthy because they got a penchant for butter and, and... and and other things like that, but and thick cream gravies and shit. But oh yeah,
1: but still, uh, I mean, again, collard greens were what was left over. Ribs yeah. at one time were seen as garbage meat because there was so little meat on them; it was mostly gristle and bone. But right. uh, you know, you, you go to any decent soul food restaurant in the South, and because this this impoverished culture that had to kind of just you know was was scrabbling for whatever scraps they could find, and they're making absolute fucking magic out of just things yeah. other people would throw away. Absolutely,
0: and and this. Again, for all of you out there, this is the way this podcast works. We are—we start off talking about video games and end up talking about food. It's just free-form poetry coming out of the two of our heads, and I don't know if it's good yeah. poetry, like beat. It's poetry, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but
1: uh... <laughs> and you know the segues don't don't always make sense. This one is going to though, because you know the reason one of the reasons I brought up Anthony Bourdain is because. uh Again, we don't want to dwell on this too much. We've had some previous episodes before where we sort of talked about, you know, the celebrities we miss the most, but holy shit, uh, since we've been uh, off the air. Early this uh, year. Yeah, just since before the holidays, uh, end of 2021, beginning of, just in the last month, maybe the last four calendar weeks, we got to touch on this because it's something that's been very prominent and very upfront in the culture uh, for the last couple of weeks, but we have... Lost. I mean, you know, any span of time you can pick it on the calendar, you lose some celebrities, you lose some some great right. people, but it's been real fucking bad these last couple of weeks. I mean, before the holidays, just Shriver hundredth birthday. We of course lost Betty White, the 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 late truly great Betty White, who the we Forever I think on some level. Girl. Yeah, all of us thought she would live forever Because she was such a fucking national treasure Everybody loved Betty White Because she was just cool as shit She had done right. so much in her career She was an early pioneer of, uh, of, of artists of color on, on some of her shows in the 50s um, You know, really genuinely like the queen of television She had her first shows on television Before most people even had a television And uh, up until a couple of weeks ago She was still working um, So just yeah. an absolute terrible loss Everybody loved Betty White And everybody felt that one You know, and then not long after that, we lost. Uh, speaking of artists of color, we lost Sidney Poitier. Um, right. You know, the man who came to dinner. Uh, it just, it just uh, what an incredible tragic loss that guy was. Such an early pioneer for uh, for, for for visibility for for artists of color in entertainment. And uh, right. boy, artist, yeah, our, our actor, director, writer, just a fantastic, uh, fantastic presence. And then, not long after that. Bob Saget, who nobody saw coming. I mean, you know, I think we all He's think of Bob Saget years even now, old, yeah. yeah, as being just the perpetually youthful, uh, ever goofy Danny Tanner. Of course, then the other side of the coin with his career was, you <laughs> know, he was he was the goofy sitcom dad, but then he was also the guy in Half Baked who sucked dick for Coke, and he had a uh, stand-up career that was uh, in in stark contrast to his kind of goody-two-shoes image on sitcoms. Yeah, people go and see him, and he was he just hilarious blue, and profane blue, in his stand-up act. Yeah. If you've never seen The Aristocrats, which is a shame, <laughs> uh, Paul Provenza, one of the great uh, stand-up I, comics. I can't
0: uh, even. I can't even put the clip in here. From normally, no. I would include a clip. It is so raunchy. I'll get back to letting you explain what The Aristocrats is, but Jesus Christ, I could not include any audio from that here.
1: No, if you've not seen the Aristocrats, it is a uh, a documentary about a joke that was made by I think Gillette and Paul Provenza, Uh yeah. two people, huge figures in comedy, and uh, yeah, and, and Pervenza's no slouch either. That guy's been around; he's a comics comic, and, and that's why he was the perfect person to make this movie because it's a it's a comedian's joke. Uh, the, the aristocrats, if you're not familiar with the concept, it's a joke. Um, the, the, the setup of which is, uh, a family walks into the office of a talent agent and says, we have this great act. And then the punchline is, what do you call that act? The aristocrats. And the joke is not the setup or the punchline. The joke is the, the, the journey you take to get there. Um, you can tell a lot about what somebody, any given comedian's uh, taboos and fears and sometimes even kinks were if you listen to them <laughs> tell the joke the aristocrats. Because what happens between the setup and the punchline is they just meander off into the, the, the goal of the joke is to try and make it as filthy and as profane and as jaw-droppingly shocking to people who, you know, other comedians, people who, who aren't easily shocked, who maybe truck in horrible things themselves as, as a means of, of, of telling jokes, and try and shock a fellow comedian with how, how disgusting and horrible you can make what this family does to themselves and each other during the course of this joke. And the fact that they're able to build a compelling documentary around this that runs almost two hours is uh, is is fascinating. because every con- It starts with George Carlin, and it gets more profane from there.
0: So oh, let's tell you what
1: that's about. So you know, and Bob uh, Saget's—it was generally agreed upon to be one of the better iterations of that uh, that gag in the film, and one of his finest moments.
0: Utter filth. Just and I tried just I tried to watch it again with I tried to watch that again with Danny in the room just to to kind of reminisce about Bob Saget, and I just had to turn it off. It's like, nah, kids walk in, this is just not okay. (laughs) Fucking horrendous. oh gosh, and and then the entire spin of the joke is. Is you tell all this horrible filth and then the guy's just like flabbergasted. He's like, what do you call this act? And the big thing is you splay your hands out and jazz hands and go, the aristocrats. And it's just fucking god awful. I think, from what I understand, uh, uh, he had a good version. Carlin had a pretty good version. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried had a pretty good version from what I understand. But yeah, it's it's a comedian's joke. And and Bob did not disappoint. No. Marijuana (laughs) is not a drug. I used to suck dick for coke. i seen him. Now that's an addiction, man. You ever suck some dick for marijuana? Huh? No, he did not. Um, I know uh, we're not sports ball fans. Uh, We've made no bones about that, but we also lost uh, the great John Madden.
1: What a way to start a Super Bowl. That's what Cincinnati wants to do.
0: Yes, we did. Uh, forever coach and, and commentator and, uh, he was certainly a unique voice in that uh, sports casting community, and uh, that was kind of a blow, too. Uh, and and especially... so much
1: remained to this conversation because uh, he was also a huge video game. Uh, he, he had yeah. one of the first uh, football video games on any console on the original NES. Uh, so oh, yeah, Madden and Football still is, a huge is a perennial. Sellers. Yeah, and, and th- there'll be a Madden Football for this year, too. If there isn't already, uh, it's one of those perennial entries in the. Uh, in, in the yearly franchise uh, of a video game, so we'll we'll see another one of those, but it'll probably be a commemorative edition, and you know they'll probably put him on the cover, which is not only correct to do, but it also gives you know whatever pro player is would have otherwise been featured on the cover a year off from the famous Madden curse which uh, is, is <laughs> yeah. something that's also been quite quite talked about. Any football player that, that shows up on the, the cover of that year's edition of Madden tends to have a pretty shitty season following that, whether it's injuries or just a bad record or whatever. It's uh, pretty consistent and kind of a joke, but um, also not a joke, which is <laughs> funny. But, uh, you know, that's that's something that we can always get into later. But uh, we, we lost on January 6th, early in, in, in the celebrity death season of 2022, we lost uh, Peter Bogdanovich, who oh. was a... a a filmmaker, director, historian. He directed a lot of great movies in the 70s and 80s. Uh, the Last Picture Show, uh, Paper Moon, uh, Mask with uh, with Cher, and um, uh, who, gosh, who played uh, Danny in that movie? Eric Stoltz, fantastic film, um, won an Oscar, um, a couple of Oscars for that film, actually. Oh, gosh. we just And wow, I, I'd actually wow, so just gotten people.
0: done listening to an interview, because I told you last time uh, I, I discovered that uh, Sopranos podcast... Yes. Uh, talking Sopranos, which is now over, uh, and I've run my course with it. Unfortunately, they they had an eighty-six episodes to go through, and they went through all eighty-six plus some. So, uh, yeah. But they had done an interview with Peter Bogdanovich, who played uh, uh, Doctor Elliot Kupferberg, which was uh, yes Doctor Melfi's uh, psychiatrist on the show. I'm concerned that treating a mobster provides you some vicarious thrill. It
1: wasn't exactly vicarious. I had to go into hiding, remember?
0: And wasn't that thrilling?
1: Fuck you, you smug cocksucker! Fuck you.
0: Listening to him talk was just so amazing because he's got this, this reverence and love for filmmaking as a, as as a job, as as a as a passion, and and it was just breathtaking to listen to him talk about it. And uh, and that's so just in the last was, couple of days, treasure. yeah.
1: In the last couple of days, we uh, right around the same time the Moon Knight trailer dropped, we lost one of the actors in the upcoming Marvel Moon Knight trailer. Uh, sorry, we lost one of the actors in the upcoming Moon Knight series. It's going to be on Disney Plus, starring Oscar Isaac um, as Mark Spector, uh, Gaspard Ulliel, the French actor. Uh, he was only thirty six or thirty seven years old, I think, and he he suffered a traumatic head injury while skiing and died on a slope in the French Alps. Horrible. Just hor- he he played a young Hannibal Lecter um, in. Uh, Animal uh, uh, I don't remember. Yes. And uh, he was, he played Yves Saint Laurent in, in the biopic of, uh, of, of Yves Saint Laurent. Mm-hmm. And um, he also was a model and a spokesman. He was the, uh, the, the face of, uh, of, of Chanel Perfume, uh, Cologne in, in, in France. So quite well regarded actor in France, just starting to make inroads in America. And his career is sadly cut short by a horrible freak accident
0: uh, skiing. I'll tell and you, then, this, of course. This really makes it gra- me glad that I don't ski. Like, yeah. all these activities that are hurting people, like contact sports and skiing and motorcycles yeah. and all this shit, and I sit on my couch and play video games, and I'll stay alive. Thank you very much. You might
1: sprain your thumb. You might wind up with a little bit of a Nintendonitis, <laughs> but you're not going to uh, you're not gonna get a, a brain <laughs> injury and die. Is just called Nintenditis?
0: Or nintendonitis? Nintendonitis. N- nintendonitis. I love it. I love yeah. That.
1: That's funny. Yeah, it's, uh, it's when your, your thumb hurts a little bit after you get done, uh, you know, trying to get your ass kicked by your girlfriend in Smash Brothers, which is something I've re- recently become very familiar <laughs>
0: with. Um,
1: so that's the thing that's going on. Uh, and it's not that I, I mind losing. It's just that, that game is so chaotic. I'm used to fighting games that are a little more precise than that. Whereas anybody that's played Smash Brothers for any length of time, and I now include myself among those numbers, understands that it's just kind of a button mashing, chaotic, schizophrenic seizure of a game, and it's it's fun and in that that's regard. that's the selling as you, point. yeah, as, as long as you know, my girlfriend said, just embrace the chaos. And as soon as I sort of like got that mindset, oh yeah, okay, so nothing I do actually matters. It's just like fun watching like flashing <laughs> colors on the screen. I, okay, I can get behind that now. Right. And then yesterday, or the day before, in the last couple of days, we had a one-two punch where we lost two titans oh. in entertainment. Uh, yeah, Loaf, of entertainment: Meatloaf. First of all, as we
0: record this, as we record, this, yeah, it was yesterday,
1: Meatloaf, the, uh, the 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 famous uh, actor uh, singer, uh, famously in Rocky Horror Show and uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and uh, also um, uh, Fight Club. Fight Club. Um, but the, the the legendary singer, uh, you know, his, responsible his for such Robert wonderful. Wilson. Yeah, well, his real name Marvin Lee Ade. Uh, let's 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 say that. But yeah, Robert Paulson, Robert Bitch Tits Paulson, uh very famous in, in in Fight Club. But uh he was the the legendary voice behind I would do anything for love, but I won't do that.
0: He uh
1: paradise by the dashboard light, bad out of hell. I mean, the guy was just a, a legendary singer he for was a great. reason. He was a great. great entertainer. I have a friend who's a songwriter who worked with that guy and said he was wonderful to work with. And so See, that is a shame. And then, of course, uh, really, really sad for anybody who's a fan of comedy, anybody who loves to laugh. Oh. Uh, we didn't just lose Bob Saget, but yesterday we lost Louie Anderson, who I was personally a huge fan of. Um, I was in the, uh, the, the Twin Cities. I lived there for about six years, uh, about a decade ago. And... Um, I, I had a waiter one night at uh, an anniversary dinner. My, my then wife and I went to go to the melting pot in Minneapolis, and our waiter was very funny, and I was trading quips with this guy, and he was way funnier than me, and and uh, I was laughing all through dinner. I just thought, ah, dinner and a show. we got a great thing going on here. But he actually he told me, hey, you, you know, he's imagining me joke for joke, and he was, he was funnier, but they said, yeah, you got some jokes. I'm like, oh, that's really nice of you to say. He's like, actually, uh, when I'm not uh, waiting tables, I'm a stand-up, and if you ever wanted to come to some open mics, you can come uh, check out uh, a couple of these places. I'd I love to, to kind of bring you into the scene if you've got any interest in doing some of this shit on stage. And I was like, yeah. And that guy's name was Josh Floorhog. He is a comedian, a working comedian now in Los Angeles. He moved out there. But he is the nephew of Louis Anderson. And oh. I did not know that at the time. I knew Josh for a couple of years. Before, he wasn't the guy who's like, hey, guess who I am? Guess who my uncle is? He wasn't that guy at all. He really wanted to, to make his bones on his own merit. And he really has... Um, you know, Louis did help him out a little bit by having him open up for him on a couple of tour dates, and and introduced him to people in Los Angeles, and, uh, but, you know, I, he, he really, he didn't need that, Josh, very, very funny guy, uh, I don't know if he's listening at all, but, uh, just a, a funny dude, and, uh, you know, he was having a, kind of a rough year anyway, with some other stuff going on, he had some health things going on, that he was talking about on Facebook, and I kind of felt bad for him, and then, he just lost his uh, beloved uncle Louie, who was a real father figure for him, not just uh, family wise, but in the industry. And so that's that is uh, a hell of you know, a loss.
0: That's a Yes, yeah,
1: personal loss for my friend Josh, and also uh, a big loss for uh, entertainment in general. Louis, uh, of course, won an Emmy for uh, playing um, uh, Zach Galifianakis' mother on FX's Baskets, which was a great show. Uh, he hosted Family Feud that. for a long time. Um, yeah, just a uh, one of those guys that you never heard anything bad about. Just anytime anybody ran into him, he's always gracious and kind, and always funny and generous, and you know, always had time for the fans. And so that's just uh, kind of thing you hate to hear. Just a titan of mm-hmm. comedy, and, and and it's it's a real bummer to uh, to lose that guy. But you know, it's uh, it's just been a bad year so far for that kind of stuff, and it's it's uh, hopefully gonna taper off a little bit. Uh, it's just a lot of talent to lose right here at the right here at the top of the year.
0: We're crying out loud. Get my rifle.
1: <laughs> we all kind of hope this year be better too. than the last year, but yeah, yeah.
0: Lou, I, I listened to a few of his interviews on, uh, like I said, I used to listen to the, uh, I still do uh, occasionally, but I listened to uh, Chris Harbrook's podcast and yeah, and him and Chris Harbrook <laughs> are particularly close, and uh, so I listened to a couple of, uh, of really good podcasts with with Louis on him, and he's mm-hmm. just such a warm and. And genial person, and just, just a, it's a fucking loss, man. It's a real loss. Really,
1: really is. But, you know, but, on to, uh, you know, uh, l- less depressing news. Well, I guess it really, I don't know if it's, if it's less depressing. I guess it depends on your perspective. But um, the major entertainment uh, slash geek on where story that, stock. right, that broke the last couple of days is that, uh, and, and as you and I will talk about in a minute, you brought this point up. Credit where it's due. You're the one that thought of this. But, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The the, the story itself is that uh, Microsoft is going to buy Activision Blizzard to the tune of about sixty eight billion dollars billion. Billion. billion with a goddamn B B B, B. sixty eight billion dollars, um, which is probably not an an overvaluation considering all the other uh, great games that Blizzard and Activision have. I mean, oh, Activision. There's, you know, Activision is, has got such a history. I remember back in the day, which was a Thursday, I used to play my Atari 2600. That was the first, I mean, wasn't the first console I had. That's how geeky I am. I actually had a uh, a Pong set that you had to sit crisscross applesauce on the floor to play because the sliders that work. the paddles were integrated into the actual console itself on a, you know, played it on a black and white TV. But the Atari 2600 was really the first game system, the first console that kind of brought gaming from the arcade into the home. Uh, of course, we look back at it now, and it looks pretty rudimentary, and there's, of course, embarrassing things like the E.T. cartridge that almost killed the home video game <laughs> yeah. industry as a whole, and the, the really embarrassing uh, uh, Pac-Man adaptation that was just awful at the time. But, you know, back in uh, the early 80s, this was just, you know, Atari had a license to print money. And even though the games look rudimentary now, we look back on them and they, you know, with our our 4K 60 FPS, you know, uh, sandboxes that take 500 hours to finish. At the time, Atari was revolutionary and they were doing a really good thing. But they also were kind of doing some shitty things behind the scenes because they were super shitty to their creators. Everything Atari did was in-house. The idea of a third-party developer that made games for a console was unheard of uh, until... Uh, The folks at Activision split off from Atari and decided, we're going to make our own games for Atari, um, and we're going to give our our creators credit. I mean, now, not having credits at the end of a game seems like these people worked very hard. They deserve their due, but Atari wanted all the games to seem like they were coming from just Atari, the big three-pronged monolith that just kind of shit out these games, and and they didn't want to give their creators any credit. So, based on just, hey, we want credit for our games, uh, very famously... um, One of the designers of, uh, actually I think the sole designer of the the adventure game on Atari, hid his game and the name is an Easter egg. He was so pissed off he didn't get any credit for his game. But I remember back in the day buying Activision games for the Atari 2600 and... On the cover of every game, on the the paper label in every game, it had the name of the creator, Pitfall by David Crane. I still remember looking at that, thinking, "Huh," and that was the first time I really connected. Hey, these aren't just you know computers that are crapping out these games that are making these games for us to play. Right, actual there's actual human beings people with, behind this. With, yeah. yeah, with creativity and design ethics and and skills with with. That, that can make, again, like make, uh, making magic out of scraps if you're a, a Pan-Asian cook. These, these guys were able to make compelling experiences for the time out of almost no memory on these cartridges at all and, and, and processor power that your coffee maker has more now. Um, but we <laughs> I love think those literally, games, so... I think literally yeah, it really does. Your coffee maker has more tech. You know, your, your toaster is smarter than the module that got us to the fucking moon. It's just that's the way Moore's Law works, but... Um, yeah, so to be able to uh, to see that these guys actually were able to put their names on the games, they split off and created Activision in the 80s as being, hey, we want to, to be able to, to, to claim credit. We're proud of these games, and they should be. And almost immediately, Activision games were um, not just singular in their design and also the fact that the creators got credit, but they were actually better games. If you look back at something like combat on the Atari 2600, which, to be fair, was a launch title, so it wasn't ever going to be amazing. They, they cooked that shit up at the same time they were putting the, the chipset together. But if you look at something like Pitfall, um, it kind of holds up. If you look at, like, River Raid or Barnstorming, for the time, these games actually had um, much better graphics, much better sound design. Uh, they were smoother and, 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 and better playable. So, uh, Activision has been around for a long, long time. Of course, now, Activision kind of has a tendency to get mentioned in the same breath as Ubisoft in terms of oh, a toxic yeah. work culture. Um, Bobby Kotick, their CEO, is uh, frequently in the geek news for kind of just being like a, a, a controlling Deek. prick who, yeah, who, who exploits people and and just isn't good to his employees. And there's you know, sexual assault and, and harassment allegations floating around. And so, Activision Blizzard has problems as a company, but. Um, Microsoft tends to run a pretty tight ship. Um, anybody that gets brought in under their umbrella it tends to uh, kind of shape up real, real fast. I remember the joke at the time when, when Microsoft bought ZeniMax and therefore Bethesda was, um, oh, well, you know, now they're actually going to have to release games that don't need patches weeks after they get released and sometimes even cases uh, years after they get released. and Because... Uh, 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 obviously, Bethesda—they make quality gaming experiences. I mean, they've had a couple rough years here the last couple years, but uh, Fallout Three is one of my favorite gaming experiences of all time. And of course, Skyrim has been reissued on everything uh, since I it love, got released, I, including I that told coffee you, maker. I bought,
0: I bought that like six times. Yeah, something like that. Five, six. You, times, you, can, you can, you could play
1: uh, um, uh, Skyrim on just about goddamn near anything these days. I think uh, I saw someone running
0: it on a on a, one of those TI calculators, the the graphing calculators. Hey, you. Finally awake. So yeah, it makes sense.
1: <laughs> but the joke at the time was, uh, oh no, uh, Microsoft bought uh, Bethesda. Now they're going to actually have to release games whole. Um, but maybe, you know,
0: it, maybe,
1: maybe. I guess we'll see. But what what I find interesting about this is something that you brought up when we were talking about this kind of uh, when we were discussing what we wanted to talk about on this episode, and Every that is, day. yeah, you made the point, and I, I happen to think that you're correct. Uh, and I'll let you know. I'll set this up, and I'll tee this up, and I want you to run with it because you, you've given this a lot more thought than I have. But the sure. console wars have been a thing back since Nintendo and Sega were kicking each other's asses with blast processing and Mario and and Sonic and all that. But um, these days, the console wars are primarily between Sony and Microsoft, with uh, Nintendo kind of always doing their own thing with their own Just sniping hardware from hardware experiences. Corners, yeah, yeah, and their their own uh, you know first party legendary shit like Metroid and Zelda and. Uh, Nintendo is really their own little thing
0: anymore. So, yeah, I didn't uh, really it's, count it, them. I mean, they're definitely out there making money, but yeah, I don't count them in the same. Like they're not they're not focused on console wars. They're focused on no. innovation, which is fantastic for for they us. They do their own thing. They do their own thing. They're remarkably with successful. With it. But in the
1: last couple of years, obviously, uh, Sony won the last console generation. Uh, the the PS4. Kind of kicked the Xbox One's ass in terms of sales, a little bit in terms of uh, of cachet, in terms of market share, um, first party titles, and you know, Sony kind of ate Microsoft's lunch a little bit. So Microsoft, and they, being and Microsoft it looked like they
0: were going to do the same thing with uh, at least the initial uh, first year of uh, the PS5 versus the uh, Series X consoles. Uh, it looked very much like PlayStation was the one to beat again. Uh, because, yeah. I mean, you hear about the shortages all the time, but it's always off the, le- off the lead with uh, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 5, can't find a PlayStation 5. And, um, of course, you can't find an Xbox either, but you're not right. hearing that as much.
1: But Xbox has been doing something really sneaky that I didn't put together till you pointed it out. But uh, in order to. We, we always assumed the console wars were boiled down to who had the better hardware, who had right. the more robust chipset, who could push the most pixels onto the screen, who could claim the greatest, uh, you know, uh, frame rate and the greatest amount of, uh, of processor power. And. Uh, that just uh, doesn't seem to be the case anymore, because what Microsoft has done very quietly behind the scenes, and using the power of their pocketbook, the the punch of their purse, they've been quietly buying up all of these independent developers for the last couple of years. Oh, and I've got a bringing, list.
0: Believe me, I've got oh, a yeah.
1: list. Bringing them all under the, uh, the, 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 the umbrella of Microsoft in order to be able to, if not make their games exclusive, at least make them time-release exclusives, or... Or m- optimize them for their own hardware so that the best experience of these, these g- great franchises from these legendary studios will inarguably kind of be on the Microsoft platform. And you brought this up a couple of episodes ago where you said that Microsoft has kind of pivoted away from being like a hardware developer to doing what they've always done best. Microsoft started as a software company. They've always made the OS for, for uh, PC computers. So right. they uh, kind of figured out, well, hey, you know, if we have, if we have Xbox Live, that's a, a feather in our cap. If we have Game Pass, which is an incredible experience, it's ten bucks a month, and it's unlimited games as much storage it. as you have. I love Game I Pass love too. It. But then buying up all these third-party developers and making them uh, essentially Microsoft, if not exclusive, at least you know Microsoft uh, beholden. Um, they're kind of going around. They're doing an end run around this. Well, we might not have all the teraflops and all the pixels. We do, but we might. You know, we're, you're not going to be looking at performance metrics and benchmarks anymore. Now you're going to be looking at who has the games, who has the killer apps, the classic games that I have to play on that system. And based on all the developers Microsoft has bought up, they're 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 making this a, a software race now.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing is is we've always looked at these consoles, these these giant. Pillars of something you can hold. This is the yeah. Xbox Series X. This is the mini fridge that looks like a a, a, a console. This is the uh, obelisk that is the PlayStation 5. They've been trying uh, to make the ultimate th-
1: set-top box for, since long before sets didn't have tops anymore.
0: But that shit doesn't matter anymore. No. And I'll tell you why. And, and I'm not the only one to point this out, but I'm the only one on this show, so fuck it. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, the thing is... I can play pretty much every Xbox game right now on my phone. I yeah. can play it on my phone. I have this uh, controller. It's called the Razer Kishi controller. And it attaches to both sides of my phone. And it streams games from my Xbox to my phone. The thing yep. costs like $75. Well spent. Especially if you're someone like me who spends a lot of time you know, parked and waiting for crews and things like that. You get bored. I could play Halo Infinite, which just released, on my phone in a van. Hundreds of miles away from my Xbox, for free, or not for free, for, but for as the cost of being a part of this Game Pass. And that's yeah. the thing: is the console wars have been focused on consoles for so mm-hmm. long that a lot of people miss the big picture. It's not yes. a console war anymore. I mean, Xbox. Uh, I forget who runs Xbox now. Spencer, I, I think Spencer yeah. or whatever his name is, has come out and said, "We don't want to be a console company. We want to be a software company. We want you're going to need our console to run the software, but once you have it, we want to be that subscription based service. We're going to give you the games that you want." When you want them. And see, I was always one of those guys that didn't want to be a digital only guy. I, I just. of so, something real tactile for me to yeah. be a uh, physical media, having the disc, you having and me both. the, the cartridge. And, and we've talked about this previously how yes. we didn't want to. We were going kicking and screaming into this digital revolution. But this is the way they're doing it. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it's working.
1: It it's really working is. for me.
0: I haven't bought an Xbox game in. A long time. I bought this console like three, four, five months ago. I haven't bought a single game for it because yeah, I do have game a Pass. couple of games.
1: I have I have a lot of older games that are uh, Xbox 360 and Xbox One games, and I, I have physical copies of those games. I do have a couple of discs uh, because like you, like I don't necessarily trust digital distribution because if you read the fine print on the EULA, they're always saying, we're not really selling you the game, we're selling you a license to use the game. And that's kind of bit me in the ass before where I've right. bought game, I bought books on my Kindle that you know something happens in licensing rights and it gets yanked. Or when they do reissues of certain games years later, like I bought... Uh, uh, Crazy Taxi, which is one of my favorite games on the. Yeah, uh, I loved Crazy old, Taxi. Yeah, yeah, on on the, uh, the Dreamcast, but because they lost the licensing to be able to put like Tower Records and KFC in the game, and they lost the licensing to all those great old um, uh, Offspring songs that were in the soundtrack, it's not quite the same experience anymore. But I still have a copy of of uh, Crazy Taxi and a Dreamcast if I really want to go back and do that. And of course, there's the famous story about how the uh, the side-scrolling beat 'em up Scott Pilgrim game was digital only on Xbox, uh, on the Xbox 360, and then something happened with licensing or the creator, I'm not really sure what the story was, but they pulled the rights to the game and were not able to sell it anymore, so unless you had bought it and actually had an install on your console, that game suddenly became something you couldn't get your hands on because there never was a physical copy of it, right? right? But there's been rumors now that... Because Xbox, like you said, is very much obviously and has stated this, as their strategy is they're pivoting away from being a hardware manufacturer and they're going to be a platform and a software distributor. Um there have been rumors. Much like much that, like
0: Sadia was trying to be, which I think they failed miserably at.
1: Right, yeah, agreed. But there's been rumors that that um Xbox might be partnering with, uh, with some smart TV manufacturers to make Xbox on a chip in a smart TV and make it an app. <laughs> and you can get a dongle to plug into the back of your TV to some port that maybe hasn't been invented yet, maybe it's an HDMI port, maybe it's a USB port, we don't know, that you can run an Xbox controller with. And then you buy the controller for 50 bucks. the chip's already in your TV, you buy the games, you download the games on an external storage system, and then all of the processor... Uh, power that you would ordinarily have to have on a chip in your actual console is being handled by the cloud and it just streams to your TV. That's yeah. what they're talking about doing. And if history is any indication, and if what they're doing right now and their stated strategy is any indication, I don't think that's too far fetched because you said you had a no. list and I've got it in front of me too. Um, in the last couple of years, since about the middle of the viability of the Xbox One, uh, okay. Microsoft's been buying developers. Like they're going on a style, like it's a fire sale, and they got
0: a fistful of hundreds. Um, I think the first big, big company that they bought was, or the, the one that got the most traction in the press was, when they bought Mojang, the company yeah. that uh, created uh, Minecraft, the the multi billion dollar company. Still Minecraft.
1: Yeah, and that's just one of those games that, because of the nature of it, you can play that. You know, even. Ten years later, you can play that, and it's still a really compelling experience because the graphics were intentionally dated. It's a game that is never the same game twice. It's based on exploration and construction, and so you can do whatever you want, and people are creating whole universes in that game, and so that's one that that people will still be playing ten years from now. But in the last couple years, they've also bought, oh gosh, Obsidian, uh, Undead Labs, they bought Alpha Dog. Uh, Rare, which used to be almost exclusively... Actually, I think they were exclusively a Nintendo developer. Uh, They were the ones that uh, developed Donkey Kong Country and, uh, of course, Banjo-Kazooie. Let's see, World's Edge Ninja Theory, which was a huge get for them. Um, They bought Double Fine which is a... I'm a, a massive fan of Double Fine. Uh, Tim Schafer, I think, is one of the great genius visionaries of gaming. I met that dude at E3 like 10, 12 years ago, and uh, he was super cool. But um, if you haven't played Psychonauts, first of all, what the fuck is wrong with you? But, I mean, he also did stuff like Day of the Tentacle, um, uh, Monkey Island. I mean, the guy's a, an undisputed genius, and uh, Microsoft owns about now. I love Day of um, the Tentacle. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, of course, Zenimax and Bethesda, uh, Infinity Ward, Treyarch who put out all the great old Spider-Man games on the PlayStation years ago. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. ID, um, and now Blizzard Activision, and that's only a partial list of some of the larger marquee names. They've, they've purchased somewhere between 25 and 30 independent developers in the last couple of years, and they're bringing all of those titles, all of those those legacy franchises under the umbrella of Microsoft, and they've got Microsoft's money, Microsoft's resources, and Microsoft's it's the distribution systems.
0: That's really the... The yeah. resources and distribution is really what's going to set this apart.
1: And meanwhile, they caught Sony napping because Sony still has uh, you know huge exclusive developers like uh, um, Naughty Dog and Insomniac. Um, but and, and they there's no discounting them. I mean, obviously Naughty Dog is. Uh, th- there'll be more Uncharted games. There will be. I mean, the the movie with Tom Holland is coming out in February. It's coming out next month. And uh, we already know that there's more uh, Last of Us in development, which, you know, it's, it's one of the better series that's ever been put out for any console anywhere in history. So they're not going to be, uh, you know, uh, necessarily dying on the vine, but Microsoft is just clobbering them. They're going to eat their fucking lunch because they've got all of these amazing developers and all of their legacy titles and franchises that are, are going to be Xbox exclusives. And the... the well, that's the, the thing...
0: When, that's the thing is when they went to, when they announced this sale 68 billion dollars why make trillions when we could make billions yeah um stock plummeted yeah PlayStation Sony stock like plummeted to the tune of 20 billion dollars they lost yeah. in one day from one acquisition Yep. And the thing is, the thing that drove that, I think, is a lot of people are fearing exactly what you're talking about. They're fearing the fact that these games, these these franchises that are owned by, uh, like in the past it was you know with Mojang, and, and then in the past it was also with uh, uh, ZeniMax and all of their companies, but now it's... Under yeah. all the companies that are under the, the banner of Activision Blizzard, which are quite a few uh, big-name companies that have been Uh, statistically, uh, over the course of the years, multi-platform, now there's big, 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 big fears that are saying that these games are going to be Xbox exclusives, are going to be non-multi-platform. What's this going to do to this? And so uh, PlayStation has been hit with this. They're being rocked by it. And to the point where the only statement that I'd seen released from anyone officially at Sony about this was that it's our hope that they will continue to be or to honor the contracts um that were set forth at this point basically so yeah those. Uh, we, we hope that they'll be honoring the contracts of being multi-platform and
1: yeah i'm reading this in a quote shared with the wall street journal via a sony spokesperson the firm said we expect that microsoft will abide by contractual agreements and continue to ensure activision games are multi-platform and it's the same with Infinity Ward. I mean, the Sony. That's actually
0: a huge yeah. maybe. Yeah,
1: it is. Uh, we, 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 hope. we hope they'll continue to honor those contracts. But you know, obviously, Microsoft has the money. That they decide to break those contracts, or they're null and void because they have a new parent company now. Then uh, you might be forced to buy an Xbox, or at least download the app, or whatever, if you want to play the next Call of Duty <laughs> game,
0: or World of Warcraft, or. Yeah. or well, I guess you that's know going to be PC. the next or,
1: elder it. Scrolls or, or, or starfield or any of the things that are coming out that have been announced by any of the companies that Microsoft has snapped up uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's I don't I don't know you and I have talked about this uh, kind of leading up to, to, to recording this episode but uh, game changer doesn't begin to cover it um, you know, pun definitely intended on that, because it really does seem like that—that that is their strategy. After kind of getting their lunch eight during the last round of Console Wars, Microsoft is like, yeah, well, you know what? We'll just buy everything. We'll buy every developer, and all their games are going to come out, if not exclusively on ours, at least first. To the tune of maybe six yeah. months or a year, if most of the exclusivity windows that we've seen prior to now uh, tend to, to hold as a pattern.
0: Right. And that's just a huge... Uh, Big fat fuck you to, to Sony. Now, that's yeah, not to say Sony doesn't have deep-ass pockets, too. They do. They absolutely they do. do. But uh, that exclusivity is, is going to be the killer. I mean, and it's yeah. something that they definitely, if you look at the stock price tanking, that's something they fear. That's something that could very well impact the company for a very, very long time.
1: Yeah, twenty and billion dollar it, loss in one day just from an announcement. It has not even gone through yet. Um, you know, to the, I just read another article where, where Bobby Kotick was saying, "Oh, I'll, I'll stay on as long as they need me, whether however long this thing takes." But they just five. announced their intent to purchase Blizzard, Activision, and Blizzard, and and uh, that just even saying, "Hey, we're going to buy these guys." Sony ate twenty billion dollars in a day.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's hella damaging. It is it really is.
1: I mean, it can only be good for competition, I think. I, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I think if it makes uh, you know, Sony and or Microsoft more competitive and, and more driven in the marketplace to continue to uh, say, hey, we're going to to, to really to push to, to bring better experiences and, and, and more variety to our platforms, great. But uh, the way things are going, I mean, any name developer that hasn't had a buyout uh, um, offer, at least, or at least speculation from Microsoft by now, uh, they they gotta feel like the ugly girl of the dance. Who doesn't? You know, nobody. <laughs> it, it's crazy. It really is just going down like gangbusters. Microsoft is going on a buying spree.
0: And I'll tell you this: I'm going to predict this now, and I'm probably not the only one predicting this. But I think the next acquisition is going to be Ubisoft. Yeah. And now, here's here's kind of my thought process. You're I, not think, wrong. I think, I think Sony is going to make a play for Ubisoft. Yeah. Because Sony needs to start falling in line with snapping up companies, too. They can't be left in the dust. It looks to me like all these independent game companies are just going to go away. It's all just going to be you're either in the Microsoft camp, you're in the Xbox camp, or you're in the, the PlayStation camp, or you're in Nintendo, and you don't give a shit for really willy-nilly, right. but, you know, whatever. But uh, the... Uh, the smart money would be Ubisoft, and the smart money would be Sony trying to make a real massive play for it. Uh, whether Ubisoft goes for that or they end up, you know, holding out for Microsoft money, who knows? But Sony's no slouch in the in the uh, uh, pocketbook either. So, well, um, despite think... their
1: massive successes with stuff like uh, Ghost Recon and uh, um, um, Assassin's Creed. Uh, Ubisoft has had kind of the same issues that Blizzard Activision has had with the the sexist allegations and the toxic workplace accusations. The optics optics. are bad. Very, very bad. So, um, yeah, uh, beleaguered and embattled are words I've seen used to describe Ubisoft in the game press. So, you know, they they could use a shot in the arm not just of credibility but also of PR. So, yeah, if they're not in the process of being courted by one or the other, if not both, then uh, I think you're right. I think we're going to see that announcement in the coming months.
0: So yeah, I mean, this is this is huge, and, and, and again, pardon the pun, but game-changing. This is something that yep. changes the nature and the, the scope of what we know as home video gaming uh, to date. And it's something that uh, Google tried to accomplish with Stadia, and I don't yeah. think that they did a very good job with it, obviously. Um, it wouldn't be surprised if they, they shuttered Stadia after a while here. Well, gaming's not really their arena. They tried to get into a game they didn't really understand. Right. And they always do, because they're they're the kind of company that just likes to uh, throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks. And uh, uh, I think, you know, they're not really going to eat too much on that. It's an experiment. They didn't sink a whole lot into hardware and development. They didn't sink a whole lot into anything that can't be repurposed elsewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do. So I, I think uh, they're kind of picking up the ball and running with it from what Google tried to do, and and uh, that's not anything new. But uh, definitely, I think this is going to be the future of gaming is going to be uh, streaming. And part of me hates that. Part of me hates that quite a lot because you yeah. know again, like I said, I'm tactile. I like to have. These physical things in my hands, in my collection—things I can display, things I can uh, be proud of, uh, like the Nintendo things that I own and, and, and the handhelds and whatnot. But
1: but convenience always time, wins. Convenience time, always yeah. wins. Uh, streaming if is is, is Netflix huge. And if, Hulu has yeah.
0: taught me anything. Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, uh, see, obviously, that was the death
0: of my last collection. I collected uh, DVDs for the longest fucking yeah? time. Oh yeah. I still have thousands of DVDs. That I don't do shit with.
1: I used to work at a record store when I was in college, which is a very old-fashioned statement and dates me horribly. <laughs> but I had a collection of CDs that was it took up a, a whole wall in my house at one point. Um, yeah. But now I just you know I listen to Spotify most of the time, and I, I kind of hate that. Because yep. convenience always wins, and if if the gaming companies. Can adopt these streaming strategy like the film industry seems to have, I and mean, it's not that we don't still go to movies. Obviously, uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home was a, a, a multi-billion-dollar earning film, and it brought people, despite uh, COVID and and and, uh, and yeah. quarantines, Almost they brought them out of their billion, houses. And it looks like yeah, I saw that movie three times in the theater. Wore a mask, but, uh, you know, the, the, the theater was at least 70% full, and I saw these weeks apart. People were, they made a joke out of it on Saturday Night Live. Uh, the The cold open a couple weeks ago, if not, I think it was last week, was um, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, not the real Joe Biden, obviously, but the actor they have playing Joe Biden, whose name escapes me at the moment, but he's one of their new hires, and he's a fantastic impressionist. Uh, James Arthur Johnson, I think is his name, James Johnson, something like that. Uh, he's fantastic, got famous for doing Trump on TikTok, but he also does a hell of a Biden, and uh, he was saying, you know, the, the Omicron is spreading, the, the cases are spiking again, and I just got one thing to say, stop seeing Spider-Man, stop going to theaters, you know, stop <laughs> eating popcorn without your mask on, stop going to see Spider-Man, and, and you know, it's it's a joke, but it's also not wrong, I, I really saw that, that movie three times, uh, I think the last time was after it had been out for at least, two or three weeks and yeah. it was still like it was like two o'clock on a tuesday and it was still you know 150 people in the theater i mean it's just it was insane the, the amount of money that movie made and it deserved it obviously we talked about it already It was a great movie but um still there's it's, no denying that, that streaming book, yeah right no shit streaming is a huge fucking deal it's a multi-billion dollar industry and it's probably only a matter of time as much as you and i don't like it because uh, we're, you know, maybe that's a dinosaur thing to admit that, that uh, I'd rather have the physical media I can hold in my hand. It's not the same unless you can smell the pages. Get off my lawn. It's not, you know, maybe that's a, a horrible thing, but <laughs> it, it's it's going to go that way whether we want it to or not. So right. I guess maybe the, the sooner we embrace it, the sooner uh, we can kind of move on with our lives. But nevertheless, it is coming. Well, think of it it's it's like this. It's probably inevitable.
0: Think of it like this: We were talking about your record collection or your CD collection and, and everything like that. Yeah. It's like it's exactly what I talked about with. Uh, I told you why I collected records. Now it's because I fought collecting vinyl for a lot of years. I thought it was really niche and you kind of a a neck beard to do it, and and I, I never really understood it. Um, but then uh, I, I came up on this idea of intentionality, and I never really I've always got music in the background. I'm always listening to something. There's always music in the car and my phone in my earbuds, whatever, I'm always listening to music to the point where it's just background. Whereas, like, when I put on a record... I listen while I'm working, too. Yeah. When I put on a record, it's intentional. I'm doing it to listen to that record, that specific thing, that specific time. It really makes it an intentional act for me. And what I'm thinking of is is that's going to be physical media in general down the road. Like, okay, I have this DVD of Dogma from Kevin Smith. You can't find that anywhere. You can't stream it anywhere. It's an occasion. It's an event. I'm going to pull that out. We're going to sit down and watch it. Or, like, I'm going to pull out my NES, blow the dust out like usual, which you're not supposed to do, but fuck it, I do it anyway. When I told you to blow me, this is not what I had in mind. Um slide that cartridge in and hopefully play metroid you know right. making but make it an intentional act not make it something because it's like when i find i have a lot of, of uh choices like with uh nintendo online their switch online they've got dozens and dozens of uh old nintendo and super nintendo games uh with emulators i run into the same problem dozens and dozens Mm -hmm. and hundreds and hundreds of choices then i find myself bopping around and pouncing around and and not really focusing on one activity but when you pull out the old console and you set it up and you go through the effort and the act you pop in that game you're doing something with intentionality and i'm thinking maybe that's the way this is going to be headed so I mean, uh, gaming
1: is, is something we do on the toilet now. It used to be something we would sit around the, the TV with our <laughs> friends. We'd all grab a, a Nintendo 64 controller, and we'd kick each other's ass on GoldenEye. But, yeah, now it's gaming has kind of become a passive activity to the point where there are some games I see in Google Play where it's like, oh, it's a passive clicker. You start the game, and it runs in the background. You come back and collect things, and it's just, I don't know. I mean, to me, gaming really should be an active thing, but... It, it really is gaming, music, movies, uh, I keep seeing, maybe it's a function of everybody has is neurodivergent now, which is largely factual, but uh, I mean, the yeah. tweet that I keep on seeing, hey, uh, Netflix should really have a category, can I keep this sound in the background and still follow it if I'm fucking around on my phone? Or there was another tweet that I keep seeing passed around Facebook a lot that it's if you want to know why Gen Xers are always pissed off, it's because we had to replace our record collections with a tape collection that was then replaced with a CD collection that was then replaced by MP3s. And damn it, how many times do I have to fucking pay to listen
0: to Grunge? Right? And now we're right back to records. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Well, you've been collecting vinyl for a while and and there's no beating those old experiences sometimes for the nostalgia factor and for the tactility yeah. of those things, but really convenience will always out. Convenience is always going to win. Oh, um yeah. convenience and cost-effectiveness.
0: When when I go over to my uh, guitar player James's house, we have practice over there every week usually. Uh when when I go over there, he's always really excited to show me his new record store acquisitions and things he's found and Yeah, he's, like, putting on records for us to listen to. And it's, like, maybe it's something I haven't thought about in years. Or maybe it's, like, he found a a copy of uh, 37 Chambers, the Wu-Tang album, and he threw that on, and it was fucking fantastic. And and it's, like, there's that love, that intentionality, that passion behind it that you don't get through streaming or you don't get through, I mean, and, and maybe it's niche, maybe it's driving everything to a niche market, but... I think, uh, really, to tie it all back, uh, Microsoft is really fucking owning this uh, streaming thing. And, well, they might as well. I they own everything gonna, else. Right, and it's the new wave of things. But, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to get rid of physical media. I think there's always going to be a need and a desire and a want for physical media. But yeah. really, uh, if we're to think about it, we need to embrace the, the new uh, way of thinking. We need to kind of... Uh, kicking and screaming aside, just kind of walk into it knowing this is the future, this is the way things are going. And yeah. really, it it doesn't take a, a fortune teller to see that Microsoft is the one kind of leading the charge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just facts. To the point where Microsoft's Game Pass is the model that even PlayStation's trying to follow now. They're trying yeah. to combine all of their services to make some kind of uh, subscription service out of their... The shit that they've got now, and uh, and whether they will or they won't, we'll find out. But uh, really, this new wave of acquisitions has really set Microsoft up as kind of a not necessarily the winner of the console wars, but kind of the the, the progenitor, apparent. the progenitor of the new whatever the new thing is going to be. So yeah.
1: But, yeah, it, it really is kind of the way things are going, and, and I guess it's one of those you can get on board or you can not get on board sort of things. And all You know, you can kick and scream and, and resist all you like, but it, it really does seem like it's going to be it's going to be the future. And yeah. uh, it, it, when Microsoft started buying developers, it was like, oh, they bought Ninja Theory. That's cute. They bought Double Fine. Cute. These are largely indie developers with niche audiences. But then they started going after Infinity Ward. They started going after Blizzard Activision. They started going after the big dogs. And that's when Zenimax, it was already yeah. kind of too late because the the juggernaut was underway. The momentum was already started. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Now, now Sony's put in the unenviable position for the first time in several console generations of kind of being on the back foot and having to play catch-up. And it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out.
0: I quite agree. Well, let us know what you guys think about this, uh... Anything we talked about today. I mean, we, we kind of meandered the first half of the podcast just catching up and, and jaw-jacking like we do normally do, but then... Well, it's been a month. We've had a lot of shit to cover. Yeah, apparently. But let us know what you think about... Uh, your thoughts on our, our, our dearly beloved celebrities that we've lost in this last little bit. Uh, let us know what you think about these, uh... The the changing face of the console wars and and how that's going and your thoughts on that. Uh, Definitely we want you to get in touch with us. Uh, There's a couple of ways you can do that. You can reach out and get in touch with us on our Facebook group, which as always is facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. You can send us an email uh, through Gmail at uh, fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. And the backup email address, as always, is fyftalentbooking at
1: gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at fuel underscore your and at Instagram at at Fuel Your Fandom. And, of course, we are always taking donations for the Fuel the Future charity that helps to put comics and other great stuff into the hands of underprivileged kids. And if you want to toss us a couple of bucks for that, uh, you can find us at at Fuel Your Fandom, at Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. So we appreciate that. And, uh, of course, if you're listening to us, you probably find us on your favorite podcast platform. But we are available on every one of those we can think of. We're on Spotify. We're on Audible. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on FM, Player FM. We're on Stitcher. Yeah, if, if you can get podcasts there, chances are you'll find us knocking around the corners. And, and however you put Absolutely. us in your ear holes, we're glad to be in there because it's nice and soft and warm in your head. <laughs>
0: but as always Jim and I would love to thank you for listening to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast and please do remember what we're trying to focus on in this 2022 Uh, everything is fandom and fandom is everything take care everybody
1: ba da